Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hello and welcome to another edition of Syrupcast. My name is Daniel Bader, and this week I'm joined by our awesome new contributor, Eric Lehman. How are you? Oh, I'm good, and I'm blushing now. Thank you for your kind introduction. Well, you killed it. You did a couple of, or three, amazing articles to cover the the Apple Watch launch, and I thought that was that was really uh, a cool way to, to start your you know, your, your mobile syrup legacy. Um, so, you know, we're, we're really, really lucky to have you. So oh, thank you. I'm uh, excited to be yeah. contributing to mobile syrup, especially uh, in the Apple world, because there's a lot of interesting things going on right now that I'm excited about. So the more people I can share that with, the better. Absolutely. And uh, Eric is coming to you black and white for some reason. We haven't figured yeah. out why that, that is. But if you're I'm, watching the video... I've been clicking every button uh, possible in Hangouts trying to find the effects, and I cannot find the effects, so I'm going to be in black okay. and white. It, it's a nice old-timey look. <laughs> the, hair, the hair swoop looks particularly good in black and white. Why, thank you. I just, I, I, I'm <laughs> upset that people will not be able to appreciate the fluorescent green of my Apple Watch, but... Uh, oh, I was wondering if it was green. It I, is. I, you told me that, but it looks it looks white. It well, looks like the... it's totally black and white and gray. So, but it is the green. It is the fluoroelastomer green. So, I guess that's where we should start because Apple Watch has been at the fore of pretty much every outlet's coverage for the last couple of weeks. But you got yours when on the 24th. Friday, the twenty fourth. Yeah, the Friday. Uh, thankfully, I was concerned. The, the last Apple product that I've ordered online for launch day like that was the 4S, uh, which did not show up until the Monday following launch, and that was one of the longest weekends of my life. So oh. I, I am pleased that my Apple Watch showed up on launch day as, as it was promised to. You know, uh, the 4S was the last time that I lined up overnight. That was a very interesting experience because mm-hmm. um, I guess – that was 2011, right? Yeah. And we went to I, m- me and a friend uh, of the site, Gilbert, um, who has, is, is a longtime friend of mine, uh, and Ian, uh, the owner of Mobile Syrup, showed up a bit later. But we went to Sherway Gardens, uh, and it was like October 14th, I think, 2011. Mm-hmm. And uh, that night in Toronto, it was cold and rainy. But we got there early enough that we were under the awning just outside of the the Sherway Gardens um, complex. But there were, by like 3, 4 a.m., there were hundreds of people in the rain wearing like ponchos and, you know, making these makeshift tarps. And it was, I mean, I'm always amazed at at the um, dedication of Apple uh, fans, iPhone fans. But that year was sort of my first good look at just how hardcore some of them are. Right. I think they're rivaled only by the insane fangirls that follow the boy bands and such around the country, you know? I would, I've still, like, I, I mean, I've admitted, like, 
I've been, I admit that like if I am in an elevator and you know a celebrity like um, if Charlize Theron walked into an elevator and 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 I was just like standing there, I would be awestruck for sure. Oh yeah. But but like the the whole notion of following, uh, and I've done this. I, I've gone down the the Twitter rabbit hole with some of these fangirls and and boys too, where you know when Zayn from One Direction announced that he was leaving, um, I tapped on his Twitter account and every single tweet of his, even if it was as banal as a smiley face, just a a smiley face hanging in midair. There was no context, nothing else. He would get like 150,000 retweets mm-hmm. and so many, like countless thousands of, of, of replies mm-hmm. of people just like devoting themselves and, and, and prostrating themselves at their, at his feet. And I just don't understand it. I mean, it's something that clearly has, like, it, it, you have a physiological reaction to this. But it, it doesn't make sense. It's it's a strange kind of power that they wield. It's true. <laughs> it is true. I, uh, I, I don't pretend to understand it. But that said, I am uh, often in the thralls of technological um, awe, on, awe. Awe. We'll just leave that as as it is. Awe, and um, I was going to say awesomeness, but awesomeness is basically just awe. Exactly, expanded, Ex- <laughs> elaborated. Um, right. As as I as I you know, no, technological to... awe. I think that's a thing, right? Oh, for sure. And I I yeah. mean, a lot of Apple users justify their kind of early adopter status by being in that enthrall. You know. Right. They want to be early adopters because they they want to be in awe before everybody else. Right. So okay, so you you ordered yours on the tenth. Um, yes. What what time? Like, did you did you get up at three in the morning and order it? Of course, of course, I did. I I set my alarm for two fifty five. I had, I was try wielding. I guess you would say. I had my phone. I had my iPad. I had my laptop. I was refreshing the store on everything like mad, and okay. my my iPad let me in. I think just. Just before three oh one, and so I was. So able you to get were my order. you were doing it in the Apple Store app or yes. on the in Safari? Okay. Well, I had so I had the store open in Safari on my Mac, and I was using the Apple Store app on my phone and my iPad, which is one of the best right. kept secrets for Apple launch mornings, pre order mornings. The, the store app tends to hold up better than the the store website. So this is this is what I've heard, and and this year I I actually tried that strategy. Um, I I. In, in years past, I've been burned by using Chrome mm-hmm. um, during launch events, and then I realized that Apple—I don't know if it's 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 inadvertent—but Chrome does not like launch events. It doesn't update fast enough or something. Right. But eventually, I would always get into Safari at like three oh one or three oh two, and I and it would be it would be fine. Mm-hmm. But this time, um, Safari wasn't even working on on my Mac, so I decided, okay, here. Here's what I'll do. I'll I'll open my my watch. I, I'll open the my favorite because I'd had my favorite right. on the iPhone app, and that was it. That's all I needed. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the the web store. That's the other thing is that the App Store app tends to come back online a lot quicker than the web store does. Um, mind you, this entire experience was a far cry from the iPhone six when that went available for pre order. That was supposed to be at three a.m. and I was still sitting awake at. 4.30 unable to get into the Apple store. Uh, so needless to well, say, I, I mean, now we know why that morning. 
you know, like we, we, we know that the iPhone six has just like completely destroyed any semblance of, of analyst estimates, right? Yeah. Like 75 million in this first quarter, 61 million in the second quarter just released. Um, I think there were a few days of Q4 where the iPhone did sell, right? The iPhone five, six. Or the five, right? Right, like the, the, it was released on September twenty first, if I'm not mistaken, and the end of the quarter was September thirtieth. Mm-hmm. They usually do that. The product, the major product launches, usually just a couple of days or a week before the end of their quarter. Yeah, and I mean, we'd have we'd have to get somebody with a more financial background to 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 know to kind of explain this. But wouldn't they want the entirety of their new stock to be to be reported in the first quarter when clearly that's when they have their their record revenues? Well, it doesn't seem like that's really affected them so far. I mean, they continue to report like blockbuster. It's usually. You know, the, the quarter following the new iPhone launch or the watch launch or whatever it is usually ends up being the, the huge. Well, I mean, I mean, it's the holiday quarter, too. So um, I, I actually don't know whether they include the opening day sales in the end of that current quarter or whether that all counts towards the next one. I don't know. The, yeah, the I mean, I guess there. I guess they could choose to report, even though they would, you know, they came out with a press release on the Monday after the the launch and they said that they had 10 million pre-orders mm-hmm. but um or sorry it was it was september september 9th i think that it went on sale and then or for pre-order and then september 19th it, it went on sale in in the stores um i'm getting the 5s and the 6 confused but i'm i'm too lazy to look i don't blame online, you so whatever so regardless they sold hundreds i mean just a ridiculous number of iphones and yeah um, you know, a lot of people said that this was a long time coming because all they needed to do was really increase the size of the phones and everybody would follow suit. Right. But I don't think it was that simple. I think that the iPhone 6 was, uh, it, it was just a confluence of everything, right? It, it, it came down to, um, yes, it was a bigger size, but a lot of people were coming out of two and three year contracts. I mean, two years in the states and in Canada, it's three years, but now it's they've shifted to two. But I, a lot of my friends who bought sixes were in a position where they were either on the verge of coming out of their three-year contracts from the iPhone 4s in 2011, or they just paid up the the difference, right? Mm-hmm. And 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 felt like it was easy. It would it was worth you know paying fifty dollars or whatever in, in an early cancellation fee to to get their new phone. Mm -hmm. Well, it was kind of this like perfect storm of, you know, they finally did the bigger screen sizes. They were releasing it at a a time when a lot of Americans were just coming out of their contracts on what the galaxy S three, right. Which was kind of Samsung's biggest was, was when Samsung really exploded, right. That was when the galaxy sort of really took off. Um, So it's been honestly crazy to watch. I mean, I never expected that just them, making a bigger phone was going to have this much of an impact. But you see, like, quarter over quarter, they're selling, like, 60, 70 million of these things. Uh, You have to assume a lot of those people are Android switchers. There's not a ton of people that are just getting into the iPhone for the first time anymore. Um, So, yeah, it's been wild. And Tim Cook said in Q1, he said in the earnings call that it was 
uh, like 80% switchers. It was right. a very small number upgrading from earlier iPhones. Right. And, you know, the 65 or 70, 74 million iPhones sold in, the, in Q1 2015, um, which comprised the, the three months between September or October 1st and December 31st. You know, you have, you have a lot of Android users basically fed up with their clunking Galaxy S3s you're right, and they they wanted something new, and they wanted to invest in the Apple ecosystem. Yeah, but I mean, flip side too. You know, when uh, I know a lot of iPhone users switched over to the Galaxy S4 when it came out in 2012 mm-hmm. because they weren't really happy with the iPhone 5, um, or they weren't happy with the iPhone 4S. The the Galaxy S5, the Galaxy S4 came out before the iPhone 5 uh, in about six months earlier, but I think that the the 4S wasn't as big an upgrade as some people wanted, and they opted to go Android because I, I think by then Samsung had kind of gained enough momentum that people found found them to be a compelling alternative. Yeah. Well, that was kind of... I mean, I, I was feeling the same way back then. I mean, I, I went through a period where... I got a couple of different Android phones within the span of two years because I was starting to feel like the iPhone and iOS was getting really stale. Um, so I, I got a Nexus 4. I played with that for a while. I got a Moto X. I played with that for a while. And and But recently with Apple doing you know iOS 7, iOS 8, the iPhone 6, like it's, they've gotten back to an exciting place. I think they've stopped. Um, they've done a bigger, incre- uh, bigger increments, I guess, between the iPhones now. Um, right. And and that's apparently paying off for them. Uh, I mean, you see it working in China, in other Asian countries, where the 6 and 6 Plus have been the most popular iPhones that have ever been uh, released, as far as we can tell. Um, You know, Apple's been putting a larger focus on China recently, and clearly they need to. And clearly, you know, what they're doing with the iPhones and stuff has been working there. So uh, it's been Yeah, I mean, their their, uh, acquiescence to the Chinese carriers has been a big part of that uh, revenue shift, right? Mm-hmm. I think in Q- Q2, they announced that for the first time, more of their revenue was derived from China than from the United States, uh, which is enormous. I mean, if you know, they had a they had a $62 billion quarter. And I think it was um, that more of their iPhone revenue was made in China than it was in the States. But we they don't break down the number of phones sold in each country, they just break it down by by revenue, but um, you know you can assume that because the infrastructure in China has been improving, they've they've sort of uh, China Mobile has like I don't know like four or five hundred million users, mm-hmm. um, and with a growing middle class, you have a lot more people that are willing to take on that enormous expense because uh, I mean a China a, an iPhone in China is not cheaper than an iPhone in Canada or the states. It's still a seven eight hundred dollar phone. It's just that people are prioritizing these purchases differently. Yeah. So it's interesting actually on that topic. I've been wondering lately whether um, you know a few weeks back, I think it was around the time that the the watch went available for pre-order. Um, Apple raised the price of the iPhone six and six plus here in Canada. Mm. Um, and I've been wondering if that's going to have any sort of effect on sales going forward. I mean, if we assume the next 
models that come out this year are going to be priced slightly higher because that's something I always hear from people is that the reason they choose Android or the reason they choose uh, BlackBerry or Windows Phone is because of the price, right? There's this kind of stigma that iPhones are expensive, which is in some cases true, in other cases not true. I mean, a Galaxy S6 or an S6 Edge uh, can be just as expensive or even more expensive than an iPhone. So I'm curious to see if that's going to have any um, negative effect on their sales going forward or their growth in any of these countries or if people are going to just pay up for the experience. So, I mean, I can only speak to Canada, but uh, the shift was entirely due to the poor Canadian dollar versus the U.S. dollar. So that exchange rate affected only iPhones because it's my understanding that Apple began charging the carriers more for the phones themselves and in order not to have to raise subsidies by another 100 to $200, they shifted the, the price to make the, the, the subsidy amount the, the same, which uh, is, I think, $480 for each iPhone. Mm-hmm. Um, now, you're, you're right. There are, there are Samsung phones that are more expensive than some of the, um, than some of the, the, the cheaper iPhones. But now, looking at the, the lineup, it's, it's clear that the Samsung... Galaxy S6 is significantly cheaper than even the entry-level iPhone 6. So, mm-hmm. you know, you have a, a Galaxy S6, which has 32 gigs of storage for 250 Canadian, and the entry-level iPhone 6 is now 350 Canadian. So it's a full $100 more for what Apple a lot storage. of people are going to perceive as less value, right? right? Um, you know, I, I think there, there are two, two things at play here. One, most iPhone customers who were looking into buying a phone at 250 are still going to buy a phone at 350. But there's also that subset of people who are going to be convinced by a CSR, many of whom are incentivized to sell a certain brand, right? Mm-hmm. So you have Samsung, HTC, LG, they're all pushing these salespeople to sell their products. They're, mm-hmm. they're giving them commissions in, in some way. So you can imagine, you know, John at Rogers, who's selling you a phone, you come in looking for an iPhone 6, it's got a curved, you know, glass display, it's got metal, it's got, you know, the beautiful iPhone kind of um, sales pitch, great marketing, it's got its own little kiosk there. And John says to, you know, to, you know, you or me, listen, you know, I I, I see that you're, you're looking for a 16 gig iPhone 6. It's $350. I mean, it's a lot of money to spend up front. Let me show you the Galaxy S6. You know Galaxy, right? It's made by Samsung. You know, this year's model, it's way improved. It's got metal. It's got curved glass. It's got way more storage. And listen, I'm going to tell you, I, I like, trust me here, Android's improved a lot. You know, Lollipop's gotten a lot better. You know, I'm like, uh, what's Lollipop? Okay, whatever. Like, let's try it. Sure. Yeah. And I think that's sort of the interplay here is that, there are people who aren't going to care that there's a four or $500 iPhone that, you know, is, is significantly more expensive than it was a month ago. But then there are, there are going to be a significant population piece of the population that's going to acquiesce to the, the salesperson or kind of get convinced one way or the other and be like, okay, sure. Why not? I heard Samsung, I heard Samsung's pretty good. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it's, it's the pretty good that's, that's, that's going to get a lot of people. So, yeah, 
And it's interesting. I think maybe I'm just bitter that the prices are more expensive now. <laughs> My Holy. wallet's going to be a little lighter. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so what? when are you due for an upgrade? Um, well, I'm on this interesting kind of, uh, I guess I would say, warpath right now where I... I'm kind of trying to get away from buying my phones on a contract, uh, and I prefer to buy them outright from Apple just just for the sake of being able to have it unlocked, being able to use it when I travel. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe that plan's going to have to change if I can't afford an $800 phone at the end of the year. Um, but it just, just with everything that's gone on with the plan pricing in Canada recently and... Um, you know, I have a really great plan right now that I've had for almost five years that was an old three-year plan that once my contract is up, I don't know what's going to happen to that. So, uh, Well, you're, so, it's not going to come back. I mean, you're not going to be able to use it again. Well, exactly. And so All that's the carriers my, that's are forcing fear. you to that's upgrade almost... to one of their share plans. So Right, right. And I don't want to have to switch. I don't want to have to give up my... My plan. So, so that's kind of why I want to break away from the carriers and sort of, you know, fight the power and stick it to the man. But we'll see what happens there. I mean, in, in one sense, it's actually quite a good thing that the price of the phones are becoming uh, disintegrated with the price of the of the plans. And I, I mean, a, a lot of the, the the flanker brands like Fido and Kudo are moving in this direction where you instead of getting a subsidy you finance your phone over two years but you pay a a portion of that every month until the phone is paid off right and then at the end of two years the price of the phone drops off the end of your of your plan and you have a cheaper plan right so you have an 80 dollar plan 20 dollars a month for your phone 24 months later you're paying 80 dollars not not 100 now it's it's good in in some ways because it's educating the Canadian population that phones are actually quite expensive. I don't think many people realize that when they get a zero dollar phone, they're actually many, many times buying a five six hundred dollar phone. Right, right. They think phones cost two hundred dollars, ninety nine dollars, whatever it is. They don't realize that they actually cost seven eight hundred, nine hundred dollars, sometimes over a thousand, depending on which one you pick. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, I was talking to a journalist um, at I was at I was in. San Francisco this week for Build, and I was talking to a guy who said that uh, he and his wife were at a music festival, and she uh, had misplaced her iPhone 5, and it, you know, it was a couple years old at this point, but, you know, it was a bit, bit worse for the wear. She dropped it a few times, but it was, it was working, Mm -hmm. and she left it, you know, back in in the field, and she was like, ah, you know what, screw it, you know, I'm, we're carrying all these things, I'm due for a phone upgrade anyway, like, and he was like, no, like, this is not some $200 phone that you're leaving on the grass somewhere. (laughs) Exactly. This is a $700 product, like, if you wanted to sell this thing tomorrow, you could, you know, we could pay half a month's rent for this. Right, right. And he had to explain to his wife that the phone that she got for $200 from AT&T was actually a $750 iPhone. Right. And, you know, my job as somebody who works in this industry has been to try to educate people on that stuff. But, I mean, it's really hard to get through to people. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, they don't, it's hard enough to explain just how to go about buying a phone and getting a plan, never mind the intricacies of, you know, what goes on behind the scenes and how everything is set up. And uh, yeah. 
it's confusing. We only understand it because we're we're the nerdy, you know, it's, it's our job. This is the the hobby that we've chosen, the passion that we've chosen. So it's also our kind of curse that we have to deal with some of these things. But it's one hundred percent a curse. But it, but it's also you know I I have the privilege of helping everybody in my family. Uh, privilege slash curse of helping everybody in my family <laughs> pick phones because you know I'm able to suggest the right phones for them and and mm-hmm. I feel like I do a better job of a, of a you know rather than somebody at a Rogers or Bell store who looks at them for two minutes and go okay I'm I'm gonna try to sell them this this obscure Android phone that they're gonna hate yeah totally. so you know and and I I you know I I'm I'm a bit more sort of in the Android camp than you are, I think. Like, I live in both worlds. I, I live with my iPhone in one pocket and an Android in another. And that's because I, you know, for, in many ways I have to because it's it's my job. But also, I really like Android. I think that there are there are advantages to Android that iPhone, that iOS just can't really hit yet. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I think the notifications on Android are, are still far better than they are on iPhone. Um, but I think that when, when you talk to somebody, when you talk to a layman, they expect you to be in one camp or the other. Right. Right. You know, you, there's, there's, there's little subtlety to an argument. And, you know, I'm sure you heard about that fight that broke out between roommates a couple of weeks ago in some city in the U S because one Android guy was telling one iPhone guy to go fuck himself. And there was a big fight and. It got all over the press. These are the I kind of things kind where of... I wish I could just sit people down and just be like, look, everyone, let's chill. Let's, why can't we just all get along? No, nobody's right or wrong, you know? Like, and this has come up recently. So it's interesting that you, that you bring up this point. Like, everyone expects you to be in one camp because this totally happens to me all the time. People will ask, oh, I need to get a new phone. What phone should I get? Oh, I bet you're going to say iPhone, right? Like, of course, that's the only, it's the only option. And... For me, yes, I prefer the iPhone, but I always say to them, like, no, no, like, there are great Android phones out there. There are some great Windows phones out there. Like, it's whatever works for you. Like, let's figure out what works for you. What do you want from your phone? What's going to be the best one for you? Maybe it will be the iPhone. Maybe it will be an Android phone, right? Like, I'm just because I go back to iOS, I prefer iOS day to day doesn't mean I don't understand the merits and the benefits of another platform. Totally. Um, And this has come up again recently with the watch. You know, a lot of Android people are saying, you know why? Why are all these Apple fans getting so excited about the watch? This isn't the first smartwatch. This, you know, it, it does everything Android Wear can do, and all this kind of stuff. And and sure, that's true to some extent, but it's also for Apple people. This is the first Apple Watch, right? Like this is people that are using iPhones that are interested in Apple don't use Android. They don't know Android watches exist in some cases. So of course, there's going to be this excitement because it's the first one from Apple. It's the first one that's going to work the best with the iPhone. Um, but again, it's not something to fight over, everybody. Like, let's just, everyone can have their preference, right? You can like more than one thing. You don't have to fit into some camp. Like, Right, but I, I think the watch is also an interesting example of this, you know, bifurcation of, of what, what's happened with the smartphone industry, is that in many ways, Android users understand iPhone and iPhone users understand Android because the, the smartphone is inherently a useful tool. I don't think anybody would ever dispute that having a smartphone is an advantage over not having one. Yeah. And that it, regardless of platform, it proffers huge advantage in your daily life. You know, I don't think that even if I was using a BlackBerry Bold 9900, 
I would still gain huge advantage over somebody else using a flip phone. I mean, that is, mm-hmm. I think, an objective statement that you can make in 2015. Um, but with the watch, I think people are still looking at it as a dalliance. I think, and in many ways it is, you know, it's not something that anybody needs. And I, I think from from the ardent, you know, Android fanboy to the John Gruber's, I don't think anybody would dispute that. I don't think anybody's going to look at a smartwatch and go, just because Apple's making this, you need one. Right. And I think that's being lost in translation from many of the reviews. No, I, I, I completely agree with that. And actually, I mean, John Gruber had a great piece this week about how really with the Apple Watch and any smartwatch in general, what it boils down to is like it's still just a watch. And I think in this argument, we can throw in, um, you know, fans of traditional analog watches, right? People that just like wearing a watch for its function or its beauty rather than, you know, wearing a smartwatch. Um, what it boils down to with the Apple Watch is do you think it's a nice looking watch that you want to wear? It doesn't necessarily matter, you know, does it do this better than an Android watch or what it's, what's it going to do for your life that a, an analog watch isn't going to do? It's just do you think it's a nice watch and do you want to wear one, right? No one right. needs a five, $600, $10,000 watch. Uh, just the same way that no one needs a, a $50 Casio, right? Like these are things that you buy for their fashion value, for their, you know, the way it makes you feel, the way it makes you look. Um, so it's, it's, it's the same kind of thing. And yeah, I think we've gotten into this, uh, hole where we're looking at it in terms of its functions and its features. And, and, you know, we're, we're looking at it too much like a traditional gadget and there doesn't have to be an answer to, do you need one? Because I think the answer is no, like you don't need one, right? It's, it's a luxury. It's an accessory. And again, that word accessory, it, is defined by not having a central place. It's it's an accessory to something else. Mm-hmm. And, you know, just like I like to invest in nice smartphone cases um, or I like to invest in, um, you know, the, the occasional sort of, I'm just looking around at all the gadgets I have and I'm like, okay, let's, let, let's look at, let's look at this. You know, this is the HTC Re. It's a little kind of, camera that nobody would think that they want right mm-hmm. like it doesn't have a screen it has really little little uh immediate value but when i use this thing in certain situations it is far more useful than my smartphone camera right you know i can i can attach it by via bluetooth to my cam- to my phone i can hold my phone in front of me i can you know hold the the re up here and I can get some really interesting shots. No casual smartphone user is going to go, man, I need a HTC re, Mm -hmm. but it's also one of those things where if you buy it and it makes you really happy because you're a photography geek and you really want to get everything possible that will make your, your photo taking experience better. I say go for it. I say spend that two hundred dollars, and yeah. it's it's the same with it's the same with the watch. I I'm not sure that anybody right now should go out and spend fourteen hundred dollars on, uh, you know, a, a stainless steel Apple Watch with a link bracelet, right? Unless that's what you are going to go out and buy from Tag 
or or Rolex or you know one of these other companies. Yeah. And I think if you go into it looking like okay, instead of buying one of those watches, I was going to buy I'm going to buy an Apple Watch instead. I don't think you're going to be unhappy. I think you're actually going to be quite um, surprised at how much better the experience is. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I... <laughs> it's it's been such a divisive product, right? Like. And it has certainly drawn a lot of attention to the category um, just simply for the fact that it's Apple, right? It's Apple's entry into, I mean, like it or not, when Apple does something, people are going to pay attention to it, even if Google did it first or Samsung did it first or, you know, Rolex did it first hundreds of years ago, right? Like people are people are talking about it because it's Apple now. And But I really do think we've just gotten clouded in this thinking of like, why do I need one? Why do I need one? Because it's the kind of product where you don't need one. You No one has ever needed a watch, right? It's it's totally one of those luxury things. And people try to argue now, like you need a phone. And like you said, it does have some large tangible benefit when you carry around a smartphone all day. And no, the watch doesn't have that kind of immediate, like life-changing uh, feature or benefit at all like the smartphone does. But um, And that's why it's so interesting to me is because it is such a different device for these technology companies to be working on. Um, and it's so interesting and and kind of funny to see the tech press reacting to it and even everyday people i mean i've enjoyed going to the apple store and seeing non-nerds in there looking at the watch and trying them on and buying them like it's it's been really fascinating so i mean let's let's talk about that what is what has been your uh i guess you've had it for just over a week now yeah it's today's saturday right yeah so it's been okay. just over a week <laughs> Just over a week. So what what is your what are your first impressions of the watch? I mean, so far, so immediately, I mean, I, I love the hardware. I mean, it's typical Apple, like everything is polished, it's clean, it's so well built, like everything about it is is really great. Um software wise, obviously there are bugs. It's a first generation product, right? There are things that need to be ironed out, things that could be better, uh, things that seem a little rushed or not fully thought out or not fully baked. Um, but overall, I've I've really liked it. I mean, I don't have a ton of notifications turned on for things. I've been very um, conservative with what sends me notifications, what interrupts me during the day, and even more so on the watch. I don't even have everything that comes to my phone also come to the watch. I've been very kind of trying to cut down on all that stuff. Uh, but it has been useful in that sense of just being able to quickly glance, is this something that needs to interrupt this meeting that I'm in or this task that I'm doing, or is this something I can ignore for a little while? Uh, I will say it is a little frustrating to not always be able to act on notifications from your wrist, depending on what app it is that's pinging you or what what kind of, you know, you can't reply to an email. For example, you can answer a phone call or reply to a text message, but there are just certain things that you can't do um, on the watch. I will say one of the features that I've really enjoyed that I've actually used every day since I've gotten it has been the activity tracking and the workouts and the and the fitness features, which I have just I've never experienced that sort of gamification of of exercise before. Um, and so just being able to at a glance see how much you've moved, how much you've exercised, how much you've stood throughout the day has been really useful in just kind of making me focus on that a little bit more, actually paying attention to how much exercise you're getting throughout the day. Um, yeah. And the, you know, the little, as corny as they look, the little badges and rewards that you get when you hit a certain goal, like it does motivate you to try to, you know, I, I want to hit my move goal seven days this week to get this little badge and I want to go out for a walk and I'm not just going to sit around and, you know, waste the day away. 
Um, that I think has been the biggest benefit so far in my week with it. it that's that's the thing that it's affected most in my life. So um, that's been really great. You know, I, I wonder how how much of uh, a strategy it was to release it just as the weather is getting better in uh, some parts of the the U.S. and Canada. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously that was not a main goal for them, but. You know, you you they're they're in Cupertino, right? Like Northern California is pretty much nice all year round, but you wonder um, whether people would have had the same immediate satisfying experience using the watch watch's fitness tracking if they were holed up in a gym, you know, all day yeah. doing yeah. it, right? Because I mean, like, that's the that's the original. From what we've heard, at least, they originally wanted to release it in the fall, like closer to when they actually announced it back in September. Um, I do agree with you. I think it would have been weird if, you know, if I had gotten this thing in October, just as it was starting to get cold, you know, it's starting to snow, like I wouldn't be going outside as much. Like, I don't think I would have noticed this this kind of benefit. Like, the weather's nice enough now where I can actually use these features, you know, rather than being, like you said, holed up in a gym or something like that where you don't quite get the full experience of how you can use this thing. So I don't yeah, know necessarily I, whether they planned specifically to launch it in the spring for that purpose. You know, people are wanting to go out and exercise. It's just, you know, it's just after the holidays. Everyone's been sitting around all winter. They want to get out. They want to do things. Maybe they're even interested in going and buying a device to augment that that experience, right? Like, I don't know how much they uh, planned that, but I'm I'm certain that they're happy to benefit from it for sure. And I, I think, you know, with with Fitbit, um, what's interesting about this is, okay, so, you know, my my uh, interaction with, with devices with heart rate monitors has been um, basically Android Wear uh, was the first one that was the first platform that I used to that's really supported it in great, you know, um, with great scale, right? Mm-hmm. So we have uh, the Moto 360 has one. The um, the G Watch and no, not the G Watch. Yeah, the G Watch, G Watch R. Uh, most of the Android Wear watches do, and the recent versions of devices like the Basis Peak, the Fitbit Surge, and Charge HR. The this generation of devices all have these trackers that don't deplete your battery like they did back in a, a couple of years ago. So you know with um, with the basis peak and the charge HR or the uh, Fitbit surge, these devices are actually measuring your heart rate the entire time you're wearing them. Mm-hmm. So it gives you a much more granular measurement scale. But the Apple Watch does better than the app than the Android Wear ecosystem in that it takes a measurement of your heart rate every five minutes, mm-hmm. whereas Android Wear is only on demand. And it's pretty much unreliable because when you want to do it, when your heart rate's at its peak, you can't get a good measurement because you're running and you need to stop, slow down, and take your and explicitly ask for it to take your heart rate. Right. So Apple's actually found the best of both worlds in this strategy, I think. Right. And the the interesting, or the way that Apple's approached it, at least, I think, is from their typical kind of mass market. Uh, viewpoint, right? Like a lot of people have been wondering, you know, how accurate are these things? They're not, tr- it's it's not tracking, the Apple Watch in particular, it's not tracking all co- as constantly as something like a Fitbit might or, you know, 
Um, but I think it's enough. It does enough and it does it well enough to just give you that kind of snapshot. And I mean, they've said that their goal is to to get you to live a better day, right? Live a healthier life. Like the, the, the fitness features on the Apple Watch is at least enough to get normal people um, interested in that thing. And I, I just to get a glance of how active am I being? How, you know, maybe it's not as accurate as a chest-worn heart uh, heart rate tracker or anything like that, right? But uh, it's interesting and intriguing enough to get normal people thinking about it at least, which I think is Apple's goal. And and I think they've succeeded on that really, really well. And just the way that it's presented with the, you know, the um, circles that fill in throughout the day. And it's just such an easy to understand system that uh, I think it's, I think it's really well done. Yeah. And I, I mean, what, what's interesting is Apple's been pushing its collaboration with um, Christy Turlington Burns, mm-hmm. who um, ran the London Marathon and blogged about her preparation for it. Clearly a marketing strategy, but one that will definitely appeal to long-distance runners. Yeah. But I also read an interesting piece by uh, Greg, Greg Ferenstein or Gregory Ferenstein in, I believe it was, Read Right. And what he said was that, you know, he's an ultra kind of a, a CrossFit enthusiast, long-distance runner, but he also does a lot of interval training. And he found that the Apple Watch just isn't really made for that stuff. It's not designed for multiple uh, types of working out. Uh, it's not really designed to get more granular information from other sources, right? So right. you can have um, several things uploading information to your... To, to Apple Health at the same time, but you'd need to be wearing multiple uh, pieces of hardware to do that. Right. So, you know, Apple Watch is clearly, it's as a first-generation product goes, it is, as you said, aiming at that broad consumer base, and it's not really focusing on the ultra-hardcore athletes, just like it's not focusing on sort of trying to do everything really well. It's just trying to do a few things really well and eventually, like most Apple products, it'll scale up over time. Well, exactly. And I mean, they've put such an emphasis on, you know, they hired Jay Blonick, right? They've got scientists and doctors that are working at Apple now. They showed photos and video of this lab that they've been running with people, you know, testing different sensors and just having people exercising all day long and keeping track of all of that. So clearly it's on their radar, right? It's something they want to pack more sensors and better sensors into this thing for future generations. And I have no doubt that, you know, by Apple Watch 5 or 6 or whenever it is that, you know, you'll be able to do more or these serious athletes will be able to have a greater benefit from something like the Apple Watch. But I think for a first generation product, when you compare it to, and again, I have not spent any substantial time with Android Wear, but I think when you compare it to what's out there, even, you know, the the screenless um, fitness trackers that you wear, I think the Apple Watch at least matches, if not exceeds those by a little bit, uh, which I think is as impressive, at least just for the first generation. Right. And I, I, so one, one thing that uh, Ferenstein complained about was that like most, uh, wa- most um, uh, heart rate monitors that use the pulse oximeter technique, which mm-hmm. shines a, a, a green light through your skin and mm-hmm. detects uh, the vibra- or the uh, pulses in your, in your bloodstream and then sends that information back, uh, it takes a while for the information to catch up to the Apple Watch. So what he said was that he, he, he used a polar um, polar mobile heart rate strap over his chest, which is much more accurate. And he found that while Apple Watch would eventually 
catch up, it didn't get there fast enough so that he would maintain a higher heart rate on the Polar for a longer period than the Apple Watch did. So the sort of if you take the Apple Watch readings every few minutes, they're usually fairly accurate. But over the course of a day or the course of a workout, uh, it's not going to scale the as accurately or as robustly right. as as the right. traditional kind of um, heart rate monitor. But obviously, that's not true. Like, like clearly, Apple is not pushing people to to replace their Polar Mobile, uh, you know, chest no, straps no. with an Apple Watch. No, I mean, if you're that hardcore into it, right? Of course, you're going to have to use. Uh, serious equipment right this is and that's 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 all my point is like if you're someone who uh jogs or runs or goes to the gym just but you're not a you're not a professional athlete or someone working in ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well hello fresh is your guilt-free dream come true baby it's me geeky palmer Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Health sciences or something like that. The watch is enough to give you a Snapchat and to give you motor, or Snapchat, Snapshot. Um, and some motivation <laughs> and a good look at uh, at what you're doing, right? It's enough to, it's just enough to get an understanding and a look at how uh, the the exercise that you're doing is affecting your life, right? If you want right. that granular um, data, of course you're going to have to use like professional, expensive equipment, um, and I don't think that's going to change, maybe ever, right? Like this is this is a mass market; it's a consumer product, so. Uh, whether they'll be able to, to jam in all of the functionality of a chest strap heart monitor at some point, that would be impressive. But who knows if it's possible at this scale? But I mean, should they even be doing that? And you know, well, that's, and that's that's, a, that's the a bigger question. Yeah, because you know, on the one hand, um, you know, future generations of Apple watches will clearly have upgraded internals and more sensors and better software. But at the end of the day, I I don't think the marketing strategy for the watch will ever deviate that far from it being a timepiece first and foremost exactly exactly these are these so, are kind of supplementary features right they're they're the nice things to have but again it does boil down to it's a timepiece it's a nice piece of jewelry that you wear uh, and it does this health tracking stuff as a as an added benefit and also apple's never shied away from partnering with companies that it believes in too so you know for example the things you can't native i mean you if you if you install an iphone out of the box just like an android phone or anything you can't really do a whole lot i mean you can you can browse the web you can take notes you can make phone calls send text messages you can check stocks and weather and whatever but ultimately the robustness of the experience comes from the app store itself Mm -hmm. um and apple's not made any bones about how it plans to bring native apps to Apple Watch later. Um, because right now, the third-party app experience on the watch is pretty... It's it's a big letdown, in my opinion. Uh, it's not really giving me the experience that I thought it would. Yeah. Um, just just on that last point about health, I mean, there's already there's already the option to, to connect the watch to a Bluetooth um, heart rate monitor. So they do give you the option to to connect those kind of devices. I do think that it's more likely that you'll see 
um, more devices and more companies being able to feed their data into the watch, either through research mm-hmm. kit or health kit or things like that, right? I think that's the way that you'll be able to connect to these more serious professional kind of trackers and devices rather than it all being built into the watch. Um, right. So so on the point of apps, um, there's a lot of them so far, but I do agree with you. I think the experience has been lackluster and I don't know whether that's just because of the limitations of WatchKit and and sort of the first generation development platform for this thing or whether it's because developers did not have access to a watch while they were building their apps. I mean, I think maybe it's a combination of both. There's not a ton that you can do with WatchKit right now. Uh, There are limits to how fast your app can be because you are pulling most of the the UI and information from the phone. Um, And I think those are the little things that will change once native apps arrive. Like you'll be able to load things from the watch rather than having to pull it all from the phone. Um, But I've actually been pleasantly surprised by how many developers seem to understand the kinds of experience that you would want on a watch, not a full-fledged like Twitter app or... um, you know, a full detailed weather app, like the the apps that are out there right now seem to, at least a, a lot of them seem to understand that it's the five to 10 second interactions, maybe even shorter, uh, the glanceable kind of things that you want. Mm-hmm. And, and the only downside has been sort of the speed uh, of the apps, which, um, which will get better, hopefully by the end of the year. Yeah, I mean, I'm not taking issue with the apps themselves. Some of them are better uh, at giving you what I think should be a smartwatch experience. For example, I love the New York Times implementation of one-sentence news stories. stories. I think that they're doing a fantastic job at that. They're giving me just enough bullet points that I feel like I've taken something away and then hand off, making it easy to look on the phone to follow up. Um, But it, it is mostly just the speed at which these apps open. And, yeah. you know, I've read a bunch of developer articles. David Smith uh, wrote a really interesting one where he created four template apps, blank I love apps. This. Yeah, and I mean, I'll, I'll link to it in the show notes because it's really worth reading if you're interested in how watch apps are developed. But basically, Apple's given developers a bunch of templates that they can use, a table, uh, uh, you know, different, different formats of, of displaying information. And he was saying that none of them open more slowly than the others it, mm-hmm. it's basically how you prioritize the pull of information to your fo- to your watch and right. and i mean some of the apps like circa that give you a logo even with while it's lo- while it's loading make you feel less anxious about the the idea that the app is not showing you anything yet so right. a lot of the apps that that in my opinion fail to be compelling are the ones where you just see the name of the app and then a spinning wheel Right. At least right. if you show me something, show me that you're working on something, that five to ten second delay is not going to be as painful for me. Right. Right. And that that has been, um, you know, one of the one of the pieces that I wrote on Mobile Syrup was about the kinds of apps that I think are great for the wrist and the kinds of experiences that I was excited to try. Uh, you know, one of them being Overcast. So I was excited at the prospect of being able to keep my phone in my pocket while I'm on the streetcar or the subway, but still be able to pick a new podcast or skip forward and backward. I mean, you can do that with your headphone little clicky remote thing, but being able to choose a new episode or, or pick a different show or whatever uh, on, on your wrist to me was compelling and exciting, but I've already gotten to the point where overcast takes so long to load or the watch turns off before I'm able to even see a UI that it's just, 
I've already, you know, a couple of times tried to load Overcast on the watch, waited a few seconds, just been like, ah, screw it, and pulled my phone out of my pocket, right? Like, and that's the kind of thing that I, you know, I'm trying so hard. I I try to load Transit or City Mapper or Overcast or Carrot Weather or something on the watch because I'm like, I I don't want to have to take up my phone. I want so badly to be able to do this on my wrist. And then it just, it, it just doesn't do it fast enough. I mean, the apps themselves are good and the ideas behind them are good. It's just, I think, the limitations of this this development platform at this point. Yeah, and I mean, it's it's sad that we have to say eventually or maybe even in the near future, these problems will be overcome. But at the moment, as an early adopter, these are very real problems. And I, I agree with you. I mean, of all the developers who created smart uh, uh, Apple Watch apps, Marco Arment is probably one of the best mm-hmm. in diagnosing what uh, a, a sort of you know, a dialed down experience of, of one of his apps should be. I mean, the dude's been making great apps for forever, right? To, to fit certain screen sizes. Yeah. Um, and I, I can imagine that he's agonizing over how long his app is taking to load. Well, he's already said, I think the, f- the first day that he had his watch, he, he tweeted out that, you know, don't get too attached because I'm completely rewriting Overcast for the watch and I want it to be one of the fastest apps that loads on your watch and I can't stand the way it works right now. And so he's already, I mean, he's publicly said that he cannot stand his own app on the watch, which I think is a good thing because I think it's it's good for developers to feel that way and to try to, to fix it. I just... I just I don't know how much he can do within this current landscape with these current tools, the way that everything works to make it better. I'm sure there are certain things, right? But we've seen that it's not necessarily pulling UI that that is slowing things down. It's the way that you're pulling the data. So I think there's going to be a lot of developers feeling the same way, though. I mean, now that they're starting to get their watches and they can actually use their apps on a day-to-day basis, uh, hopefully things will improve. Hopefully they'll have time to think of you know, how can I optimize my app to send the data faster, send the data in a better order, you know, maybe switch up the way that the screens work so that you've got time to load the second screen while users are on the first screen, things like that, right, that can change. And um, with WWDC coming up in a couple of weeks, maybe we'll see more about the, the native apps on the watch. Uh, it'd be really nice if those do arrive sometime this year. I'll keep my fingers crossed, but we'll have to see. Yeah, I mean, I've I've been reading sort of. I mean, the the big the big players in the Apple Watch or in the Apple development space have all said that this is this is going to take time. And I, I you know, you you interviewed a bunch of people for your piece, and and some of the takeaways were were that you know look at it not necessarily like, or at least look at the a- Apple Watch ramp up not like the iPad, where um, even though it was a different screen size, they still were able to use and leverage a lot of what the iPhone tools gave developers at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, they're basically writing these things from scratch. I mean, there was zero, uh, there, there, there were almost no uh, precedents for this. Right. Right. Apple created WatchKit as a completely different uh, SDK and set all of these limitations um, that I'm sure longtime iOS developers have have battled with and been very pleased with the direction that iOS has gone in. But in at the end of the day, right? Like this is this is still Apple going. This is all we can give you right now, guys. Like take it or leave it. Yeah, yeah. And the, and the nice thing to, to hear from developers was that they were at least 
they were happy to have this at least, right? I mean, Apple with the first iPhone, there was no there was no way to build apps. Eventually they said, try web apps. And developers were like, that's garbage. And then eventually Apple did give them a, a full SDK. So at least this time, Apple has gone out of their way to say like, okay, look, we've built these tools so that you can start making apps. You can get your your services and your apps onto people's watches. Like you can start this process. We're going to make it better in the future, but at least for now, like here are some tools to start with. And developers are grateful for that. Um, and and to hear at least that they're all optimistic about the future, uh, you know, they want to be developing for this platform. They want to make their apps better. They're excited about the possibilities that that this device is going to bring. That is nice to hear at least that they're even despite all of its shortcomings and the challenges that they've encountered, like the that they're excited to continue developing for the watch. So. Right. We can't look at this experience now as a permanent, like, as a downer, like, oh, man, this this device sucks because the apps are, are terrible and they're slow and whatever, like, because developers aren't looking at it that way and things are going to, to change. It's just kind of, it's this, yeah, it's this early adopter, like, speed bump, right, that we're all kind of hitting right now. What's interesting to me is, um, you know, that the Apple Watch UI is, is a little bit, complicated for new users i think people mm-hmm. are not going to in- intuitively turn it on and go okay i get it i understand everything there is to know about this i mean just the idea the first day i got my watch it took me a while to figure out that you needed to force touch on the notifications to clear all of them yeah. right and you know these are sort of these are things that are essential to the way that you use your watch but even android wear has this um has this you know tutorial every time you 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 turn on a new watch or you reset it and i mean after a while it gets boring but it's really useful to to new to new users yeah apple sort of relying on these guides these um guided tours that they've hosted online or in their in the apple watch app on the on the iphone to overcome those issues but i i, I just wonder whether an onboarding experience on the watch itself would have been a little bit more intuitive for people I I definitely think it could have been, or even within um, within the watch app. You know, say after you pair your watch, it goes through this tutorial on the phone, and you can kind of follow along on your own watch as you're going. Something like that, mm. even I think, would have been a little bit better because there is no explanation as to the UI and where you find your notifications and where you find glances. I mean, a lot of that they don't they don't discuss a lot of that after you pair your watch. I think they're hoping that you're going to go into a store and and check them out, and then the um, the blue shirts will have a chance to show you around it, or there's, you know, they've got this virtual setup uh, program that you can do either in store or online. But not everyone's going to do that, and you know, I I agree with you. I mean, I after a week, I've gotten pretty used to the whole UI paradigm and where everything's located. Um, I still don't really like the app launcher. I feel like that doesn't make a ton of sense on a watch. And I wish there was a different, more kind of more intuitive way to get into apps. Like glances, glances sort of work if you pull them up and use them almost as an app launcher. You know, you can get something at a glance and then tap it to jump into the full app. But not every app has a glance and you're not going to want every app's glance like shown up in your glances screen. So I feel like there's a better way to interact with apps or get to apps. Maybe it's pulling things up contextually like based on where you are or what you're doing you know similar to google now where it Mm -hmm. kind of just knows what apps you might need and and displays those to you in a certain way um i mean that's always been a challenge for apple because they just simply don't have the amount of data 
on you that Google does. I mean, Google has your email and your calendar, and they can pull all that stuff up based on what they know about you. And Google or Apple just doesn't have all of that information. Um, but but it does. The whole home screen and the teeny tiny icons and everything just feels a little out of place to me uh, on the watch. You know, I wonder. And I, I'm guessing this will never happen for competitive reasons, but I wonder whether, because Google offers its search app on the iPhone, and it's actually a pretty good approximation of what Google Now is on an Android phone. I mean, it's yeah. it's still hidden within an app, and it doesn't have system-level access, but you still get notifications for things. You can still sort of go through the same cards that are synced through your Google account as you would on an Android phone or an Android Wear watch. And I just wonder whether they could ever update their iPhone app to support an Apple Watch and give you a sort of a, a toned down Google Now experience on your watch using an app or whether they would even want to do that. I've been, this is something that I've been thinking about since, uh, since widgets were announced for iOS 8, right? The Today widgets. I always thought that Google Now would make a fantastic iOS widget because you could essentially mm. then have system-wide access to Google Now like it is on on Android Wear. I don't know if that's something that Apple would ever allow or something that Google would ever want to do. Um, but I feel like the watch, I mean, with with glances, so you could essentially replicate a Google Now experience in glances. So if uh, Gmail had a glance, if Google Maps had a glance, if, you know, even the Google app itself could could have some kind of glance that would show. So you would essentially have different Google Now cards that you could swipe through on your watch. Uh, they could release a watch app that would let you scroll through Google Now cards like you can on the phones or on Android Wear. Um, I think Google could do it. I think it's a question of, yeah, whether Google would want to or whether Apple would allow it. I don't think, I don't see Apple uh, disapproving the app. I mean, they've let it on the iPhone, so I don't see why they wouldn't allow Google to do it for the watch. I think it's a question of whether Google wants to. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think the only way Apple would ever would ever shut it down is if it replicated core, uh, you know, parts. Right, if it of had the... a clock face, basically. <laughs> right, but I, I mean, more than that, I just think that if they were, it would be sort of like those old time app developers trying to. Um, overcome the the app store guidelines by basically putting what amounted to a bunch of different apps inside a single app. So you would have you know things like a clock and a and an RSS reader and things all within sort of a dashboard app on the iPhone. I know that yeah. was popular when the iPad first came out, and then Apple basically just shut it down. It was like this is just recreating core parts of the OS. Yeah. Well, they've gotten they've gotten better with that though. I mean, there was a period where Apple wasn't allowing third-party podcast apps, third-party email clients, third-party calendars. I mean, they wouldn't anything that was a replacement for a system-level app on iOS. They would they would uh, reject from the store, and they've gotten a lot better about that. They've also, I mean, they they've approved all of Google's apps on iOS so far. You know, Maps and and Gmail and Weather and News or whatever apps Google has these days. So, I feel like. As long as it fit within, and I mean, there's there's weather apps already on the watch. There's RSS readers on the watch. There's there's I don't think there's any other map application yet, but I guess Google could. Google probably couldn't do maps with the current watch kit limitations, but mm. maybe well, further no, down I, the line. I mean, I I think that they only have access to their own to the the maps API, right? The, the Apple watch maps. kit version yeah. maps yeah. API, yeah. Um, you know, it's interesting because with all the rumors of Google bringing 
iOS support to Android Wear, mm-hmm. um, you, you know, you'd think that they just want Google services to be on as many devices as they can get them. So um, I would I, I would venture. I mean, I don't find glances to be particularly useful, but largely for the same reasons that I don't find apps to be useful on the watch. Glances just take too long to load as well. Yeah, and you know the UI is is made up as such that often once like while a glance is loading you can't actually tell what it is until it's reloaded yeah until it's showing something yeah so yeah. unlike uh, unlike an app it doesn't give you even a, even the name of the app when it's loading it's just it's just blank right which i right. find super unhelpful um yeah i, I mean there, there's a bit of carelessness in some of the ui that i think will probably be overcome in the next couple of versions um, somebody pointed out the fact that the calendar app doesn't let you go back and forth between months. So on April 30th, if you had an event on May 1st, you couldn't actually go and check what was on wow, May 1st. really? I never actually yeah. noticed that because I haven't used the calendar app very much, but that's kind of weird. And I, I find that really kind of frustrating, but also uh, just one of those sort of, okay, well, that's a dot one update that's definitely going to come out mm-hmm. in the next month or so. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I also wonder whether, uh, and I don't know if you've heard anything, but are the uh, are the the watch updates going to come with iOS updates, or are they going to be independent? So the way that it's set up as of now looks like they could be independent because there is a, a section in the Apple Watch app for software updates. So it does look like they could push out Apple Watch or Watch OS software updates independent of iOS updates. Um, from from what we can gather, the watch OS is based on iOS. So the watch is running some variation of iOS 8.2, whereas the phone is now on 8.3. So mm. I wouldn't, um, I don't think it's too much of a stretch to imagine that they could bundle some together at some point. But I think they've probably structured it in a way where they could push out incremental updates to the watch without a major iOS update yeah. or even a, a 0.1.1 update or something for iOS. And I think and, I think they want to probably increment on the watch a little quicker at the beginning, at least, you know, for the next. I wouldn't be surprised if we see a couple of watch updates, maybe even before DubDub. You know, what's interesting, too, is I, I just thought, um, you know, everybody thinks that Apple updates for iOS uh, happen, um, you know, sort of magically and that they all roll out at the same time um, across mm-hmm. the world without any carrier input. But I, I was told that that's not actually the case, that uh, Apple gets quality assurance from every carrier that they have deals with. It's just that they sort of expedite the process. They say, okay, we're pushing out an app update on May 1st. Uh, you can, you know, you can put it through your tests, but you you have 24 hours to do so. Yeah, and we're exactly. going to push it out regardless whether regardless of whether you approve it or not. But <laughs> right. they do give these the carriers all warning. Uh, but, you know, remember what happened with 8? Was it eight oh one where it bricked a couple of the 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 new iPhone six? Yeah. Or was it eight dot one? No, it was eight oh one. So it was eight oh one or eight oh two or something like that, where people installed it and it completely it broke cellular functionality, which was like a major, you know. I I talked to a. I talked to a Bell rep, um, not a Bell rep, a, a Bell executive off the record about that. And they said, he said that Apple basically uh, did not apologize for, for that at all. They just sort of did, 
their thing and and was like you know what sometimes like shit happens um <laughs> but they said that he he said rather that that the the carrier never really has time to do the same kind of thorough quality control testing as they do on Android mm-hmm. because the carrier is the endpoint for Android they the carrier pushes it out and same with Windows Phone and I believe BlackBerry as well but Apple pushes out the update themselves they just give the carriers a day or so of warning and are like okay well you know hopefully nothing goes wrong right right well which so, which is such a it's, it's it's such a typical Apple approach, right? They're going to go to the carriers and say, look, we are releasing iOS 8 on whatever it is, September 9th, September 12th. Uh, regardless of whether, I mean, you can test it. Like here's, I mean, they've got, in theory, the entire beta period, the same amount of time as developers, right? To test. I mean, cellular carriers could download the iOS betas, put it on phones, test it throughout the entire time and send feedback to Apple, I'm sure. Um, but they're... They've worked it where Apple has the final say on the deadline for that, right? Apple's releasing it this day, whether you like it or not. Whereas Android right. has has been the opposite. It's like, okay, here's the software. Uh, carriers test it, and as soon as it's good, like we'll release it. And that's just that's just the way that Apple operates, though. Is like we're not going to let anyone else dictate to us when we're going to launch our product. Like we're launching it when we want to launch it. We'll we'll give you what you need to test it, but it might not be, you know, enough time or whatever. Like we're launching it anyway. Yeah. I mean, I, there are, there are obvious, obviously advantages and disadvantages to that strategy. And the big disadvantage is what happens with 801, where you brick like 5 million people's phones temporarily right. and force them to restore them I, in iTunes. I do, even if they never apologized for that, which I think is hilarious, I have to imagine that somebody got fired for that. Somebody oh, at Apple. yeah. I mean, they apologized to, to the users, and right. that's really who they affected. Right. Um, but what I was going to say about the before, you know before I told that story was the reason I find it interesting is that the Apple Watch does not need to go through any of that quality testing from the carrier perspective, so yeah. they can sort of iterate on this uh, very quickly if they wanted to, and they could release hot fixes within a day or so, and um, you know similar to the way that Google controls the Android Wear st- uh, stack. Uh, independent of the carriers, right? I find it that I, I find it interesting that Apple, um, re- as as reliant as it is on the iPhone, it can still be a completely different upgrade process for the watch. For the watch, but I mean, yeah. we're going to get to the point where okay, so first generation Apple watches won't work with iOS ten, and you know, second gen will or like. Or what happens when the second generation watch, what, does that no longer work with the, with the iPhone 5? Uh, or will it only work with the iPhone 5 on iOS 9? But if you upgrade, if you stay on 8, the second generation watch won't work. Like it, it adds this whole other layer of incompatibility potential mm-hmm. when there's two independent operating systems that will have dependencies, right? So you yeah. have the phone, you have the phone software, you have the watch hardware, and then you have the watch software. There's four variables that need to be taken into consideration right. when you're when you're thinking about potential software upgrades. I think they're just going to have to kind of draw a line, like an imaginary sort of line in the sand, right? Even if even if this version of the watch software will support this iPhone hardware, like they're going to have to line things up in a way where they'll just have to cut it off, regardless of whether they could make it work or whether it does work or whatever. They'll have to kind of... They'll have to put a, 
a label on like this is what we're officially supporting or this is what officially is going to work and just kind of line things up because you're right there's a ton of variables and possibilities there like you know will when the watch gets updated to some form of ios 9 like will it get updated at the same time as ios 9 hits the phones and the tablets or will it like will it fall behind or will it still be running eight like yeah there's a lot of little intricacies with how this software is going to work uh yeah it's 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 really interesting i mean it's it's similar to the to the the sort of situation in Android, right? Where um, Fitbit, for example, didn't release Android support until there was a a, a Bluetooth stack embedded in the OS, which was in yeah. Android four point three, and they were only adding support for particular devices on a test by test basis. So they would get a, a Galaxy S five in, they would test it. Okay, they'd release an update that supported it, and it's the same idea with um, with mobile payments, right? In Canada, you have all these variables you have the carrier you have the smartphone manufacturer you have the bank that needs to support it so you have these situations where okay i'm on bell but i'm a td customer with a you know an xperia z3 okay crap i can't use that right it's like eventually with enough iterations on hardware it's good we're going to be in that same situation with the with the apple watch right i i have to imagine they'll just They'll, I think they'll do it based on the hardware and just cut things off. Like, you know, the, the Apple Watch 2 will only work with uh, 6 and above. Or, or you know, they'll they'll cut it off based on, I think, the model names and just bake in software compatibility depending on what they want it to be compatible with, I think. Mm. Just to keep things simple. But I am intrigued by the the possibility, like you, uh, you mentioned, that I hadn't even thought about, was that they could iterate on the watch software quite a bit faster and quite a bit more frequently than they can with the phone because there's less... Um, risk in terms of disabling things like cellular radios that are kind of important to the functionality of a, of a smartphone. Right. Uh, there's less partners that they have to, you know, they don't have to send the software out to carriers to get tested or to uh, like all around the world to make sure that things are going to work, right? They can roll out a watch update. Uh, they, they could do it on a nightly basis if they wanted to and, and everything would work as long as they've tested it internally. Um, I'm which sure I they think- are. Yeah, I'm. Sh- I, th- I think that's great. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if we see a watch update in the next couple of weeks, just to address some of these early bugs, the launch bugs. You know, they've already said they're trying to work on making apps faster and that kind of stuff. So, um, it'll be interesting to see if the watch software um, grows faster than or is released on a more frequent basis than iOS is, because they've gotten. I mean, iOS eight has gotten a lot more updates, I think, than the the last couple of versions have. So. Uh, would be yeah. nice to see the watch the watch software progress a little faster. You know, it's, it's interesting. A lot of people said that iOS eight was done with iOS with, with eight point three, mm-hmm. um, but we've seen a beta release for iOS eight point four. Yeah, um, and DubDub is what a month from now, like a month and Pretty two much, uh, six yeah. six weeks, less than six yeah. weeks. So, you know, we'd assume that on you know the day one of the keynote, they're going to release an iOS nine beta. Uh, so I'm guessing iOS 8.4 would either need to be released that day or like they, they may still iterate on iOS 8 as they roll out iOS 9 betas, right? Mm-hmm. Um, they may also have a sort of a technical preview the same way as they are doing, they're doing it with OS X where they, they have like, like the a more stable, beta. yeah, like a public yeah. beta for iOS 9. Yeah. Um, 8.4, which is their main inclusion for that, I guess, is the new music app, right? So 
if uh, if the streaming service that they're rumored to be working on is ready in time, I think 8.4 with... I mean, that would be a big announcement. If, if at WWDC 8.4 was ready, like if they released 8.4 that day with this new streaming service that they've been working on, all ahead of iOS 9, um, I think that would be great. I think that's probably... With 8.4 being in beta already, I think that's kind of the path that we're headed on. Like that's kind of the likely outcome in my opinion, but... If iOS, if if the streaming service isn't ready and that comes with iOS nine, I I don't I don't know eight point four is is a weird, uh, a weird thing. Yeah, and what's what's interesting to me is my my guess, and and here's my prediction for WWDC uh, with the Apple with the refresh of the Apple TV, there's going to be a big emphasis on the sort of Beats music rebrand um yeah. on on everything so we're gonna have like a a lean back version of it that debuts on the on the apple tv uh there's gonna be i think a big demonstration of that product on stage in its in all of its iterations right so mm-hmm. all the way from the watch to the phone to the tablet to the screen um and i, I think that they're really going to push this beats whatever they end up calling it um beats music you know refresh and uh, I think that's going to play a big part of their of their kind of 2015 strategy. Yeah, yeah. I, I honestly, I think that's going to. Um, I think the music service will roll, it, roll will roll out at WWDC. I don't think that's going to be part of iOS nine. I don't think they're waiting for the fall for that. Um, if they do this Apple TV refresh, um, yeah, like you said, I think it's going to be the the Beats thing will be everywhere. And I think that'll be their big, like, here's this thing. It's ready now. We're releasing this today. And then the rest of the stuff, obviously, is coming out in the fall. Um, I could totally see that. I think I think that's what they're heading towards. It's amazing to me that the iPhone 6 is already, like, eight months old. Mine still feels new. I still look at it all the time and go, like, oh, this iPhone just came out. It, it, but it is weird, right? Like, it doesn't it, – it's interesting that September – and I'm just, just thinking about, like, the number of phones – that have come out since then. Like I, I was, um, I traveled to New York this week for the LG G4 announcement, and um, you know all these phone releases keep getting earlier and earlier in the year, right? To distance mm-hmm. themselves further and further from from Apple. I mean, clearly there's a six month point where you you're either closer to the previous launch or you're closer to the to the upcoming Next, launch. But yeah. but there's you know as I think we're right now sort of at that five month mark. Um, but LG just put out its its new uh, or announced its new G4, and what's interesting is that clearly these companies have taken Apple's camera dominance to heart, and they are trying to um, differentiate themselves no longer with like speeds and feeds, but by uh, by camera performance, right? So LG and Samsung have really emphasized the fact that they're. Uh, respective flagship cameras are are the, are the best, better than iPhone. Um, yeah. You know, I, I did some testing with the S6 and the iPhone 6, and I'm going to do the the same with the G4. But in many ways, I think that they're getting close, if not if they haven't surpassed them already. Yeah, I've been. I have not read up a ton on the G4, but from what I've seen in terms of camera tests and some of the test shots that some journalists have been tweeting and posting online, uh, I it it is seriously impressive to me. Like, I think I saw one that you posted from Build uh, that you mm. took a, a photo of the keynote stage with the G4. And that was a, an amazing looking photo. I mean, there are times where I look at my iPhone and go like, why can't you take pictures that look like that? Like, I think some of these phones are really getting, and that's, for so long, it was this weird like megapixel war. And I can't, 
believe that what is the iPhone still at eight megapixels? It is, yeah. Compared to some of these Android phones that are at like twelve and sixteen and forty something, if you look at HTC or whatever. Um, well, though that that's twenty, but I mean, like, what, what's interesting is that megapixels really don't make a difference. No, in the, not at all in the performance. iPhone um, has has continued to sort of push the idea that larger pixels are more important than than the number of megapixels. I do think, though, that with uh, the GS6 and the G4, we're getting to this point where the sensors are 1 over 2.6 inches. So they're actually larger sensors than the iPhone 6, which is 1 over 3.06. But the the size of the individual pixels is still uh, smaller than the iPhone 6. So the iPhone 6 is um, 1.5 micrometers or, um, yeah, micro... It's micrometers, right? Uh, UM. Sure, I, I, I forget believe my nomenclature. You, so. And um, the Galaxy S6 and LG G4 are 1.2. So the individual pixels are, are significantly smaller, but there's double the number of pixels in the sensor. Mm-hmm. So what we have is we have higher spatial resolution where you have a much higher resolution uh, photo. But we're also getting to the point now where the larger lenses, the sharper lenses, letting in more light, allowing those those uh, sensors to work a little bit less hard uh, to compensate. So, uh, and and you have things like um, optical image stabilization, which the iPhone 6 doesn't, but the iPhone 6 Plus does. Uh, so, you know, there's a lot of interesting things here. And if you, um, you know, if you take a look at the trend that this is moving in, I really am impressed with just the amount of, uh, detail you can capture and the nuance that you can capture with a smartphone camera today. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I look back a couple years and, and think about the fact that, you know, when I got the iPhone 4 and how blown away I was by the fact that I could take essentially point and shoot quality photos with my iPhone. And people would, I, you know, I'd, be, I'd post pictures on Facebook all the time and people would say like, man, I can't believe this was taken like with your phone. And that was just 2010. I mean, you look at how far mm-hmm. smartphones have come in terms of camera functionality just in the last four and five years. Uh, it's, it's insane. And, and some of these phones now with like the low light capability and 4K video and things like that, it's, it's gotten seriously impressive. I mean, there is a side effect of uh, having such a wide aperture um, you know, f one point eight is uh, is great in theory, but it actually gives you some depth of field that you may not want. So you know, you you don't really have the same. You you can sort of lower the aperture, but it doesn't really it doesn't really work because it's not. It is a fixed aperture, so they they sort of have to compensate using focus. Right. But when you're taking a foreground uh, photo of a foreground subject. With the Galaxy S6 and the G4, everything in the background is blurry, whether you want it to be or not. So it's it's giving you that sort of artistic effect, but you don't have a choice in the matter. Whereas the iPhone 6 with its f2.2 lens finds a balance. You can get some serious depth of field, but you also you, you don't have to have that depth of field all the time. Right, right. So, so what did you think of the G4 beyond the camera? terms of like the hardware how as as a phone what did you think of it yeah i, I mean i'm surprised I, I had a lot of criticisms of the g3 uh, a lot of it had to do with the screen and the software i found the the software to be really they they basically 
took iOS 7, as all Android manufacturers did, and sort of tried to make it Android. Right. Um, but they didn't do a great job at it. There were there were a lot of translation errors that I, I, I really found uh, frustrating. Um, a, a lot of sort a lot of subtle things like spacing where text would go right up to the edge of a box that you would have to tap on all the time um the notification shade where was was really just ugly like every every part of the the ui that they tried to overhaul just ended up being uh it ended up looking better but functioning worse right so lg's taken time this year to to sort of figure out what was working and what wasn't the phone feels a lot nicer. I have I don't have the leather version. I have the the ceramic dark version, but it feels a lot nicer in the hand. It's it's a lot easier to grip. Um, the screen's amazing. The screen is like it's a five point five inch QHD display, but it's just fucking amazing. Like I cannot put it in any any clearer terms. Like it's just beautiful, um, and the camera's great. So everything that I criticize with uh, on the G on the G three has been addressed in the G four and then some. That's good. And so, what was the uh, what was the situation with the leather? The leather back, is it actual leather or is it like Samsung faux leather? No, no, it's it is leather, and and they they okay. give you a bunch of options. Only one of them are, is coming to Canada. It's uh, the black leather, but they had a a sort of a tan leather. They had a red ye- uh, leather, yellow. Um, the black one, and I believe they had a white one, white one, but I, I know I actually no, I don't think they did. So, the leather feels great. It's um, it's it's vegetable tanned, so it should hold up better than a lot of sort of uh, quickly chemically treated leathers. Um, and they went on a whole spiel in in our briefing about this, about how they really they took like three years to source the right leather producer and and to find the right techniques and to create this beautiful German stitching that nobody else uses. And they took some shots at Motorola. And then, you know, it was like, you know, you're, you're playing with the, with the, you know, the real Kings here, like don't mess with us kind of thing. So is this, this is going to be like, you know, cause this is also sounding like the way that Johnny talks about the watch leather. So is this going to be the new like pissing match between tech companies is how <laughs> the quality of the leather that they're using for, and how many years they spent crafting it and choosing just the right colors and things for their devices. It's going to be well, like I mean, the, new, the new megapixel war. I guess they, they have to, right? Because materials are still, it's still an arms race when it comes to materials. And I, I think that's what, um, we, you know, everything else on, on the high-end smartphone has commoditized to the point where it's really difficult to differentiate. So when you can offer a suite of leather backs and, you know, say they charge $50 each, but, you know, some carriers throw in an extra leather case if you or an extra leather back if you really want to, you know, be generous. These are mm-hmm. ways that, you know, carriers can sort of differentiate the G4 from the from the S6 and the iPhone 6. Um, LG can differentiate it in its marketing material. Uh, if you damage the back, you can just replace it, which is really nice because you mm-hmm. can on the on the Moto, Moto X. Um, but it's also just a it's a nice way of, of, of sort of saying, OK, we hear you. We want it. You know, we don't customers don't want slippery, gross plastic, but we don't have the we don't think that metal and glass are, are, are going to hold up over time. So yeah. here's the next best alternative. Yeah. Interesting. It's nice. I think it looks nice, I guess. I like the leather case yeah, I have I mean, for my phone. So if it was built in, I guess I wouldn't have any complaints. 
that's the kind of the way I see it. I really like the leather case on the iPhone 6. I have a, a Moto Maker uh, version of the Moto X that has a black yeah. leather on the back, and it's it's held up really well. You know, it takes your, your finger oils and scratches, and it sort of just, like, infuses it into the leather itself, and it, it gives it more character. It doesn't make it uglier. It just makes it nicer over time. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Uh, and I'm so I'm hoping that this this kind of ages the same way. I'll I'll have to bug Motorola Canada to send me a a, a leather back to test. But uh, in the meantime, uh, we're we're approaching an hour and a half, so I think we're we we're gonna. I know. I, know. I, I, I like how you, you didn't say during the podcast that you wanted to keep it short, but that is always the curse is when you at the beginning, if you say, oh, it's going to be a short one, it never ends up being a short one. So. No, I, I think, you know what? I, I said that at the beginning. And then once we got started, I was like, you know what? When you and I podcast, I'm just going to go <laughs> for the hour long. and a half from now on. Yeah, uh, I, mean, we I don't, could do, I don't we care. Could, we could make, we'd make this a two parter. It could be a, a special event series. <laughs> I would think nobody would listen to that second part except you and me. <laughs> well i hope the people that do listen enjoy our, our hour and a half well i mean yeah let's 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 try to do this every week i think that we're gonna do a we'll, we'll brand the syrup cast this week but then we'll do the we'll do a regular apple focused uh, podcast every week because for sure why the hell not i think there's enough to talk about and i know, like it i'm game why the cool. hell not <laughs> all right so everybody uh Thank you for for listening, and uh, l- let us know your feedback. Uh, if you're if you're an Apple user, uh, did you did you enjoy it? If you're if you're a Samsung user, was this too much Apple? I know or an, an Android user. I, I know the answer to that question, but yeah, uh, I was gonna say now you're just asking for it. <laughs> uh, anyway, thank you again for listening, and uh, we will we will see you next week. Uh, thanks, Eric, for joining us. Thank you. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 